What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> oh yeah, I love them. When I was walking down there, you know, you can see, you know, 100 something yards before you get to the river, and I could see Kristen down there, and there was this guy standing next to her. Mm. And, uh, and we uh, packing a heater. <laughs> no, I was, I was like, what the heck? And I was walking over there, and he didn't have a fishing pole. It was just some guy standing behind her, and it was um, a guy from another country, and uh, he he barely spoke any English, but he was begging her for. He was like, next fish you catch, I want. <laughs> I it's keep like, I keep your fish. It's <laughs> like, uh, so dude, I, it work that way. I walked down there and he he started saying, you know, ne next fish you catch, I want. And I said, uh, well, I, I'm going to keep some too. But you know, if I if we catch too many, I'll let you have some. And yeah, we stopped at eleven. <laughs> so Did he, he keep watching you the whole time. No, he was going from every. He was going from person to person. He's going down the bank and see if he can get some fish. Yeah, he he was getting fish now. Like, what nationality do you think he was? I have no idea. Um, I have no idea. It'd be too hard to tell, um, but he, yeah, I think I saw him leave with a couple of drum, some Asian carp, so, you know, whatever. Look at him, God, these are terrible, I've never eaten American fish. <laughs> well, the sauger were great. Yeah, we'll talk about, a little bit about that. Let's just go ahead and get it going. Cool. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast, Liam McClellan, co-host. I hope everyone's having a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving time. It's about about time to see people again. It's going to be great. Yep, 1118 right now. Mm -hmm. It's hard to believe next week is Thanksgiving. How it did is. that happen? A week from tomorrow. The uh, so a lot's happened, Lee. Uh, mm -hmm. Opening weekend is in the books. I got a bunch of stuff written down here. Just run through it real quick. Opening weekends in the books. Uh, yeah, I got out there. Uh, we have the harvest numbers from opening weekend. We can kind of look at how those mm -hmm. relate. Um, I might go today. I'm kind of debating: do I go deer hunting today or do I go rabbit hunting? I don't know. It's a tough decision. There was a press release that came out yesterday mm -hmm. that I was basically going to read through. It's mm -hmm. a, it involves a poaching it's case. Really, really interesting. Yeah. So well, I want to read through that. I don't want to speculate on it or get any details wrong. So I was just going to read the press release verbatim. Um, and then what we were talking about just a second ago, fishing, you called me yesterday mm -hmm. um, to ask a little bit about the river um, and for the number that I called to get the water info down there. So I thought we could touch on that, talk about what's biting couple different places and uh, some techniques you could use. I think quite a few people ask me about how, how the number, what to, what to look for when you're calling and what to expect from yeah. the podcast. You know, and it's a different, you want different things depending on the time of year and what you're fishing for. But right now when you're fishing in the winter for uh, sauger, I would say you want, you know, one foot, two foot, something like that on the upper and that'll stack those fish in there and make it pretty fishable. But uh, I'll, we'll actually make a phone call to McAlpin in a little bit. Cool. And uh, and so and then listen to the recording. They update it four times a day, I think. Ten or two a.m. It's like ten, six, and two throughout the day. So every four hours. So we'll actually listen to it and break it down. Where do you want to start? Opening weekend? Uh, sure. I mean, might as well. I've got some. I've got some numbers here in front of me too. So my brother nailed a big fat doe, and then he's got a huge buck that he's chasing. Gosh, I, I killed probably the biggest doe I've ever harvested. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, it looked. I mean, it was huge. Oh, well, it wasn't, but it was a big old, but, but I mean, so, yeah. big old fatty. Yeah, I, the one I knocked down was just giant. I never have seen one that big before. Um, so, opening weekend stats. We came in just under 30,000 deer for the weekend, which if I look at this correctly, I'm just going to read what Kyle sent me. Mm -hmm. The 2020 opening day, Saturday, of the modern gun harvest was the sixth highest Saturday harvest on 
on record coming in at 21,250, which is a 10% decrease from the five-year average. So Saturday, sixth highest harvest ever, right? Pretty good, mm-hmm. 21,250 deer killed on Saturday. The second day, Sunday, did not break the top 10 Sunday harvest on record coming in at 8,557, which is a 46% decrease from the five-year average. So Saturday, 21,250, Sunday, 8,550. Would the incredible wind Sunday play a role in that, do you think? That's, I mean, 60 mile an hour gust. <laughs> that played a huge role. I mean, and that'd on, be one. Oh God, bye. Yeah, they can smell something two miles away <laughs> in that wind. <laughs> no doubt. No, but the, um, I think it didn't have as much to do with deer movement. I'd say they probably hunkered down a little bit more, but I really think a lot of people just didn't go hunting. Because of, it was, yeah. I went hunting with a buddy on Saturday morning and, uh, and then Sunday afternoon was his next chance to go, and he was texting me. He said, do you think it's worth going with this win? And I told him, man, honestly, I'd probably, I'd probably sit it out. I'd probably just wait until tomorrow or the next day when the weather's going to be a little nicer. And um, he texted me later on that day, and he said, you know, I think I'm going to go ahead and go anyway. i got nothing else to do. And he ended up killing a pretty nice buck that night. So I kind of laid down yeah, right, about five. Yeah, right about an hour before dark, prime time anyway. The wind died down a bit. But I think that a lot of hunters just didn't take to the woods. And that participation, like Gabe and Kyle and, and all the experts have told us before, participation is the number one factor in mm-hmm. harvest. I think a lot of people just weren't out there. Yeah. But that means they're probably still holding on to their tags, and this morning was beautiful. Well, you know, with the emerald ash borer, too, um, there's a lot of widowmakers in the woods that wouldn't have been there I 10 s- years ago. I, I watched three trees go down on Sunday. Um, me and Kristen, somehow she talked me into fishing the Salt River in that 60-mile-an-hour wind. Why? I have no idea. Did I mean, you catch it, it? it was white caps. And if you wanted, if you wanted your bait to land at ten o'clock, you were casting at two o'clock. And, <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, oh yeah. I know. I would then make, the wind blowing a bag in your line is really hard oh, to detect. I'm anything. telling you, I, I would make a cast. My bait would hit out in the open water, nowhere near a tree. My line would be caught in a tree twenty yards to my left. <laughs> like, it was ridiculous. We, we caught like four white bass and crappie. It, it was fun. But while we were out there, I mean. You know, I heard a big crack and I looked over and there's a big tree going down across from us and saw two go down while we were fishing. And then we jumped in the car and we were gonna go further upstream. So we don't, drove down Palmer Road and uh, there was a, a big dead tree across the road blocking it. Is Palmer Road unlocked now? Can you get on uh, River Road or you have to walk in? During, during modern firearm season, the yeah. River Road should be closed off, but you can still get down to the access points off Palmer. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the other end of River Road, there's the other access point. Yeah. So you can park there and walk down. Uh, we ran into some people That's here. where we did great in March, was in that upper. Well, that's where we lot. wanted to go. Um, and we thought that we might be a little bit more out of the wind there, just with, you know, you got some hills there that might create some breaks. We ran into some deer hunters that were heading down there, and the, the dead tree had blocked them out, too. But some guy had a chainsaw. He's getting ready to cut it up. Um, but we didn't feel like hanging out. I mean, 60-mile-an-hour winds. It's yeah. not like the fishing was just, it wasn't that worth it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so Sunday, you know, if you were in the woods, you still had a really good chance to kill a deer. I just don't think many people went to the woods, um, which is why our harvest numbers look like they do. A little bit down from the uh, the average for the past uh, five and ten years, but still pretty dang good, especially Saturday, six high Saturday of all time. And like I said, just those people who didn't harvest on Sunday, that means they still have their tag. And this morning was a great morning to be in the woods. Like Gabe said, uh, when he was with us on Friday the 6th, he likes those nice, crisp, cool mornings with, with bluebird days. I don't know why. I like cloud cover. But that was the definition of this morning. I woke up, there was frost on the car, and there hadn't been a, a cloud in the sky all day. So if that's what you're into, today was the day. And uh, 
Like I said, I can't decide. I'm thinking about going hunting today. One thing I've always had a goal has always been to harvest a uh, deer with a pistol. And, uh, you know, I've taken a pistol hunting plenty of times, but I, I never have pulled the trigger. And so today I'm kind of thinking that the old 454 might be making a trip to the woods with me. It's either that or a, a 10 millimeter, a 1911 and 10 millimeter, which is... I'd, wow. Yeah, I never have shot that gun before. The 454 I've shot plenty. I feel pretty good with it. Revolver? The 454 is a revolver. The, you say, uh, is it like Chad's? It, the exact same gun as Chad's. The exact same gun. So I might find myself out there. I also feel bad because my dog's been cooped up and I kind of want to get him out there running some rabbits. But one thing you got to do, Lee, when you go uh, deer hunting and you harvest deer is you need to do so legally. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, and uh, probably a good idea to weed, to leave the weed and, and paraphernalia <laughs> yeah. at home too. Well, that's part of being legal right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this, uh, this press release here, I mean, literally, like, so I shot that doe on Sunday, <laughs> on, I shot the doe on Saturday afternoon and I processed it right there where it laid and part, partially, you know, I might be a little bit over you know, cautious because of it's my job and everything. But I had my harvest log filled out before I processed that dough, just like you're supposed to, because I could only imagine looking over my shoulder and there's a game warden watching me mm -hmm. and you know, where's your harvest log? And um, so my harvest log was filled out before I processed it. And while I was driving down the driveway, leaving the farm, I had it called in before I got off the property. Um, this guy that we're getting ready to read about here, well, I'll tell you the reason, like we don't really read press releases on the, uh, podcast or get into poaching cases or anything but last year we made mention before bow season of um, urban bucks mm -hmm. and how there was some really good opportunity and some really big deer and we talked specifically about two deer mm -hmm. and one of those deer that we talked about it was kind of a famous deer mm -hmm. a lot of pictures of it out yeah, there that's what that's my yep just a, i mean just a monster that lived up in the fort mitchell area Mm -hmm. And people have been taking pictures of it for years in their backyards, from their cars. He was kind of like a neighborhood buck, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, about, what was it, two weeks ago or so, we started seeing pictures of that deer that it had been harvested, which, you know, people might feel differently about it. In my mind, if it was a legal harvest, I was completely fine with it. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? If if I lived in one of those neighborhoods up there, I, I can't tell you that I wouldn't be hunting that deer if I could do it, you know? But... um. The, the, so somebody harvested it, and I hadn't heard anything at all about it being sketchy until yesterday when this press release got sent out. And I was reading it, and I was like, well, you know, that kind of that kind of figures. And that's a bad, I talked to one of my buddies who lives in northern Kentucky, and he said a bunch of people up there are upset about it after, you know, finding out that it was poached. But I'm just going to read the uh, press release. Did you write this? No, Either, I think Kevin did. Kevin Kelly. Yeah. Okay. So this is a uh, press release that went out yesterday, and it relates to the huge Fort Mitchell deer that we talked about on the podcast before last year's bow season. Mm -hmm. um, and there's pictures of this deer. We did yeah, we talked about that one, and we talked about a big one in Oldham County. And uh, I, we posted pictures of that deer on the Kentucky Field Instagram page after we talked about it on the podcast, just so people could see what we were talking about. Uh, but there's a lot of pictures of this deer out there. All right. Title is, Conservation Officers File Charges in Killing a Fort Mitchell Deer. A Boone County man is facing multiple wildlife-related and other charges following an investigation by Kentucky Conservation Officers into the killing of a trophy deer in northern Kenton County. Robert J. Kosh, 58, of Union, Kentucky, is charged with hunting on private property without permission, illegally killing the deer, and improperly reporting the harvest. 
Conservation officers with the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources began investigating Thursday, November 5th, after receiving a photo of the deceased deer that had been circulating. On November 7th, Kosh told conservation officers Jason Ping and Paul Sorrell that he shot the buck on private property in Fort Mitchell, stating that he had received permission to hunt on the property. The landowner told conservation officer Sergeant Chris Fawcett and Sarge Sergeant Scott Horn that no one had permission to hunt on his property. Kosh also told officers that he reported to the state telecheck system that he took the deer on Sunday, November 1st in Owen County to avoid speculation he had killed it in the Fort Mitchell area. So I'm going to stop there. That's pretty sketchy sounding, you know. Well, if you legally had permission to to, to hunt on this property, why would you tag it in a completely different county to avoid speculation? But I said I wasn't going to read between the lines here. I, that just, to me, when I read it, jumped out as a little bit, a little mm -hmm. strange. So I'm going to keep reading. Hunters are required to report their harvest through the telecheck system, an automated game harvest check-in system, either by phone at 1-800-CHK-GAME or online at fw.ky.gov by midnight on the day the animal is recovered and before processing the carcass. Entering false information is unlawful. Kosh then led conservation officers to a property in Franklin County where he had concealed the buck. He planned to have it mounted by a taxidermist in the area. Officers seized the cape and head of the deer as well as the rest of the carcass. The carcass was taken by officers to a processor for donation to hunters for the hungry, but the meat right. was spoiled and yeah. unusable. Also seized were the deer's four legs and hooves, a smartphone, a crossbow, and a crossbow bolt, marijuana, and drug paraphernalia. <laughs> Kosh faces additional charges for possession of the marijuana and drug paraphernalia. Uh, conservation officers unofficially scored the Fort Mitchell Bucks non-typical antlers at 230 and 6 eighths inches. The current Kentucky record for non-typical deer is 271.7. Yeah. Based on its unofficial score, the Fort Mitchell Buck could rank in the top 25 all-time for non-typical deer in Kentucky. Uh, then, then the last paragraph is, the public is encouraged to report any game violations to Kentucky Fish and Wildlife by calling 1-800-25-ALERT. Anonymous tips may be made by texting, texting KFW Law along with a message to tip411 or through the KFW Law app. Then it has a nice yeah. picture of the deer. Yeah, th th that app is a really neat thing. KFW Law, mm -hmm. I have it on my phone. I've only used it one time and that was to test it out. But uh, it would be convenient. I mean, all you got, it's anonymous, completely anonymous. You just, you know, send a tip in. You can attach a photo and a location or whatever you want. It just anonymously, anonymously goes to uh, our law enforcement division. Then they'll never know it's from you unless, I guess, you want to give them your contact info. Yeah. But since we had talked about that deer on the podcast, I thought it was worth uh, going over that mm -hmm. press release. And So we shot at Northern Kenton County. Yeah. Said it was in Owen County and then drove it to Frankfort. Yeah, and this is, of course, I'm, I'm assuming, County. <clears throat> it says he's facing multiple wildlife-related and other charges, so I'm assuming that the case isn't closed yet. No yes. verdict's been handed yeah. down. So that's why I said I don't want to speculate, you know, that whole uh, innocent until proven guilty thing, but I think that it was worth reading the press release mm -hmm. and uh, going over some of, the, some of the details there would have been put out to the, to the public already. But do so legally. If you're going to go deer hunting, do, do it and legally. And if you plan to poach, don't do a famous deer that a lot of people no. know. I mean, it, it was probably the most, <laughs> As far as living deer, it was definitely the most recognizable yeah. in the state. I mean, it might have been in northern Kentucky, but people all around Louisville knew of that deer. People in Lexington, Bowling Green. I mean, the pictures of that deer were everywhere. And I don't know. I, I don't get it, but... Ah. I don't, yeah, I, don't, I don't get any of it. It's not that hard to do things legally. Oh, well. You know. But it's not. I wanted to uh, to touch on that a little bit. 
Last thing I have lays fishing. What do you got? You got well, anything related? I, well, first, I want to uh, let's uh, talk about McAlpin Lock and Dam. Yes. And you all went last week. Yes. And also, let's. I've, I've, I had a guy yesterday who's a, a co-worker of ours who came up and said, I listened to your podcast on hybrids, and please, can you explain how to call and how to find out what both of the, yeah. the dams are doing at McAlpin? He said it was Nick, right? Yes. Nick. I used to play basketball with him at EKU. Oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah. we both went to EKU. Yeah. He's well, yeah, he said he lived in Richmond, and I was like, well, I, I went to Eastern, too. We colonels got to stick together. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of us up here. Mm-hmm. So, as far as McAlpin goes, like right, so if I'm hybrid fishing in the uh, in the spring or the summer, you know, I might be looking for five or ten feet on the upper. If I'm going to the lower dam, I might be looking for, you know, seven or eight feet, something like that. But specifically right now, for bank fishing for white bass or sauger or any of those species, you're pretty much going to be fishing the upper dam. And you want it probably less than three or four feet, you know? So in the spring for hybrids, you like five to ten feet on upper? Yeah, you, I like more water for hybrids. Um, but it seems like they do better yeah. in that in that bigger water. And you can fish further up, closer to the wall. But you ever catch sauger at the lower dam? Yeah. You ever sauger there? Yeah, I remember we, we caught sauger at the lower dam when we were with Paul. Oh, that's right. But Yeah, people do catch them there. Yeah, and if I could get over there. Oh, and, that's right. He caught a nice one. I got a picture of it. Yeah. I forgot about that. So, uh, but right now, if I was going to fish like this afternoon, let's, let's just run through exactly mm -hmm. what I do. I want to go fish this afternoon for Sauger at McAlpin Upper. And you want one to? Three, four feet. Yeah. I don't want them opening any of the gates more than a foot. So uh, let's just say we want less than four feet to go fish, right? Mm -hmm. So in my phone, I have this number saved as McAlpin. What? And, and it's 502. Yo, know, it's 775-5056. Uh, 5056. 5056-5056. It's, kind of, it's really hard to find that. On yeah, website. it's online. I found it online somewhere. Uh, just searching through the Army Corps websites, you find it. But when you call, this is what it sounds like. No, if it when it rings. Good morning. This is Blocks, Wednesday, November eighteenth at six a.m. The upper gauge is twelve point eight. Lower gauge is sixteen point seven. We're running 29 feet of dam. We have 25 feet on the upper side, 4 feet on the lower side, 25 units at the hydro. So that tells us that today on the 18th at 6 a.m., they were running 29 feet of dam, 25 on the upper, 4 on the lower. Now the upper, for people, too, this is easy to get confused. The upper is up there by the state park and the interpretive center. Yeah, the lower you pretty and, much and, need a boat. And the lower, yeah, 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 there's no way to get there. But so 20, right now they're running 25 feet on the upper. I'd say that's a no-go for me. And I will say it's getting closer. I mean, so basically that's what I do. I'll call and I'll check, and if I hear 25 feet on the upper, I'll say, well, I better look for something else. Now, if it was a month ago and you wanted to hybrid fish, four feet on the lower would be fine, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. That's exactly what it was when we were fishing it. it okay. Four feet, and then they bumped it up to five, five or something like right. that. And I've heard of people fishing the lower all the way up to 17 feet, but it's kind of weird how they do the water. They kind of flip-flop it. So, so right now they're running... 25 on the upper, four on the lower. And I don't understand the reasoning or the science behind it, but sometimes you'll call and they'll be running 20 on the lower and four on the upper. So there there must be some rhyme or reason for why they do it, mm -hmm. but I don't understand it. But right now, McAlpin's not fishable. And I would call that number, what was it, 502-775-5056. I would call that number and get that up-to-date report before making a trip out there, especially if you live far away. Mm -hmm. But... Those saugers should be starting to stack up on, you know, all the locks on the Kentucky River. I'd say all the dams on the Ohio River. 
I mean, probably finding their way to the tailwaters at a bunch of different mm -hmm. lakes, like Taylorsville Lake. You could probably fish the tailwaters mm -hmm. at, at Salt or uh, No Land. And we or, did some stocking several years ago in some of these. And you got Saug out there too. Mm -hmm. Yes. I would, you know, I prefer over Saugery. Oh, me too. And as far as technique goes, I would say it kind of depends on if you're on the bank or in a boat. You know, vertically jigging out of a boat is a pretty good method. A lot of people use a, you know, a pink or chartreuse or a white jig, mm -hmm. just vertically jigging it. A lot of people like to tip it with a minnow or put a stinger hook on there because a lot of times they'll they'll miss the hook, but you mm -hmm. can catch them with that stinger hook. Yeah, um, that's a good method from the boat. If you're fishing from the uh, the bank, I just like a curly tail grub or a, or a swim bait, something like that. Chartreuse, pink, white, any of those colors. You were throwing swim baits the other day? Yeah, we were actually throwing our hybrid setups when Kristen and myself went down there. Uh, we were throwing like five inch flukes on half ounce heads for hybrids and the sauger were just so thick in there that we were just catching a bunch of sauger. But uh, I think we could have done better if we were throwing three inch curly tails or something like that. We just how, done it. How long were your swim baits? Four inch? Five inch. Oh, you're throwing the big daddies. Okay. Yep. Yep. We weren't really throwing sauger tackle. We were just catching sauger. Yeah. I'm sure we missed a lot of fish too. So, but uh, those, those are the methods I would use. And really for sauger, the thing is, me and you talked about this yesterday. I wouldn't break out your most expensive jig heads and hooks. No. Because, I mean, sauger, they sit flat to the bottom. You look at them, they're camo on top. If you're not hitting are, bottom, you don't catch sauger. Yeah. You got, you got to be banging sand. And uh, you're going to say goodbye to a lot of heads. Yeah. So you don't want to go out there with a $7 bait because you're, you're either going to be too high up in the water column to catch them or you're going to be hitting the bottom and you're going to be getting snagged and hung up. So I would go with some of those cheaper, you know, wire hooks, something maybe that'll bend out and you can bend it back into shape or just something that you don't mind losing a handful of them. You know, maybe I mean, I'd start at a quarter ounce and work my way up and. Yeah. A lot of people throw too light of stuff. They ain't a little stronger they're done there throwing eight, eight ounce, yeah. and that's just not going to cut it. And when I cast out there, I cast, and on slack line, I let it drift, you know, I let it sink for a couple seconds, maybe all the way to the bottom, and then I just start a slow retrieve and maybe occasionally bounce it across the bottom a little bit, give it a little bit of action. But, I mean, if you're burning if you're burning the reel and you're five feet off the bottom up in the water column, you're not going to catch them. No. You might catch a gar. I mean, you'll have to go down sometimes a half ounce, maybe even heavier. But. Yeah, it all depends on the flow. Mm -hmm. um, I would take a, several different weighted uh, jig heads with me, and I would look at the water. And I would start light, like you said, and if you don't feel like you're getting deep enough, then go heavier and heavier. Because you don't want to start off too heavy, you'll just get snagged immediately. Mm -hmm. You know, and sauger are kind of a finessey little fish, you know. It's not like they're this big bruiser that's going to just eat anything. Mm -hmm. I'd say if you started off too big, you could be hurting yourself a little bit on getting bites, too. A sleeper color form, too, is a lime green. Like, we call it Kentucky Lake green. Yeah. Looks like the, the green grubs you throw out of Kentucky Lake, and I've caught a lot of sauger. I guys. never have used green. I, chartreuse is probably my favorite. Yeah, chartreuse and white, but that, that lime green, which is basically green chartreuse, yeah. is, a, is a really good color. What I like to do, too, is uh, sometimes I'll take just a white grub or a white spin ba uh, swim bait, and you know that spike it? Mm -hmm. It's like a chartreuse. It looks like a little can of spray paint. Yeah. But it's a uh, garlic scented, and it it just if you spray it on your soft plastics, it'll turn where wherever you spray it, it'll turn chartreuse. So a lot of times I'll just take white baits with me and have that can of spike it, and I'll just you know if I'm not getting bites on the white, I'll just take that out and sh hit it with a little. You spray. like the can better than the dip? It's I, easier to use when you're on. I never have used the dip stuff. But uh, I like the can. I mean, I just keep a can of it in my backpack all the time. And, uh, I mean, it has some real odor to it. Yeah, it does. And apparently it stains, too. Yes. Uh, Chad always told me that 
when you're on the boat, you know, you want to hang your bait over the side and spray it with the wind so it doesn't blow back into the boat. Otherwise, it might, you know, if it gets on the paint or the carpet, it might not ever come off. So, yeah, that stuff's pretty good. I would <laughs> yeah. Yeah, give it a look. What else you got written down? So, well, does that cover McAlpin pretty yes, well? Yes, but uh, another place that, that I've been several times that's really nice is uh, is Meldal Lock and Dam, yeah. which is up near Foster. And back in the day, they redid it. They redid a bunch of stuff, and they redid, I think, some of the turbines, and it was under construction for a long time. But you basically have one gate there on the Kentucky side, and people would line up, and if you got it in that flow, if yeah. it got to the bottom, you were going to catch a white bass, a hybrid, or a sauger. Yeah. Now they've redid everything and made the bank much better. They've got handicap access, and they've yeah. put a lot of gravel down, and it's you've got a pretty good area in which you can bank fish there. And it's really, really good sauger fish. I mean, there's so many dams. I pretty much think of almost all the lakes in Kentucky. I mean, aside from real foot, I think they are all mm -hmm. reservoirs, right? Mm-hmm. A real foot's our only real that real foot and uh, Swan Lake are only naturally formed lakes. So without a without a dam or an without outflow. without you know so, somebody digging it out or, or a dam. So if you're thinking of Cave Run or you know Taylorsville, Nolan, Ruff, Harrington, Kentucky, Barkley, Cumberland, Dale. I mean, all these lakes are lakes that have a tailwater area mm -hmm. where these fish should be. Excuse me, stacking up Laurel. I mean. Paint lick. I mean, there's so many lakes. Mm -hmm. I can't. I mean, I can't name them all. But and then aside from all those tailwaters on all those lakes, you have all the dams on the Kentucky River. That whole respectable sauger. I think there's nine of them. Are there more than nine? There's 14 total. But the the best ones are kind of here in Central Kentucky. Yeah. So uh, probably two, three, four, five, six somewhere in that area. That Lock and Dam too at Lockport. Below that isn't. There was a guy who was catching sauger, and he came up here and he caught a monster muskie on a three-inch <laughs> chartreuse grub. You hear those stories. And, yeah, it was, you know, I think the state record is, um, you know, I think it was like 44 inches or something. I've got pictures of it. Yeah. I wrote a story and it won a national award. Really? About, yeah. Huh. Yeah, I mean, because he fought it forever and he had to get out in that cold water in February and wade out and get it. He's like, I don't know what this was. It was a monster I would have done the same thing. On, on six-pound test. I, he was an excellent job and he put it in the back of the truck and he drove straight here and banged on the fisheries door. Look what I have. And we all gather around, took pictures. It was well, it was pretty neat. Unfortunately, 44 inches is a little bit off the state record, yeah. but it was probably delicious. Oh, man, yeah. I, I've always wanted to keep a muskie. Those guys frown on it, but I'm telling you. I pay, well, I I a lot pay of people love to eat them. Oh, a lot of people of love to eat them. Bones, they say a lot good. of those muskie guys are like, you know, so protective. Yeah. of their, they, It's all 100% catch and release, which I can 100% get it. But yeah, I, I pay for my fishing license and, you know. They're, I don't like largemouths. I don't keep them. I don't. I, I haven't kept largemouth in about two years. Not because I, I mean, honestly, a lot of times keeping largemouth is the best thing you can do. I know, uh, especially in a farm pond situation. But that's last time I kept largemouth was in a farm pond, and you know, I'm just not a huge fan of largemouth to to eat. I'd prefer uh, yellow bass, white bass, hybrid bass, striped bass. Spotted so, bass are excellent. Of the black bass, spotted bass taste the best. Well, I'll give that one a try. There's no size limit on that one either, is no. it? And is there what's a limit? Fifteen or something? Uh, no, um, uh, it's it's part of the aggregate black bass. Okay, but there's no minimum size on it. You can keep six a day. So I might uh, look into doing that sometime soon. I do plan on getting out there and doing some fishing soon. I mean, I know where I'm, I've been fishing. I went fishing on Saturday mm -hmm. or no on Sunday, and we fished last week on the river. But I I am looking forward to getting back out on the reservoirs and fishing for some big smallmouth. Me too. That's what I've I'm, I've gotten all my stuff, getting it all nailed down. I've got a a Ned rig bag now completely rigged up, and I've got my jig yeah. jig box 
specifically for smallmouth rigged up. And yep. I've got my float and fly stuff I went through. I know that's not your favorite way to catch them. No, I float and fly, no thank you. Not for me. Oh, I love it. <laughs> It'd have love to be it. a real tough bite for me to put a float and fly on Oh, it's a blast. People love it, but, you know, not for me. Um, when Chad gets back in town, he's on vacation right now, but when he gets back, I'm going to hit him up about Dale. I think Thanksgiving is usually the time of the year where that little itch starts to get a little too much for him. And Thanksgiving to Christmas is when I've done really well. And February. Yeah. February is an excellent small. I mean, right now, it should just be good on those reservoirs. But I, uh, well, you got anything to hit on late today? It's a fairly short part. Like I well, said, I'm going to try to hit the woods. So. One, one thing, too, to remember, and I'm, I've been doing this fall fishing festival series. It's on our website. It's on the scroll right on the homepage. So, um, you know, this is a great time to go out and do some catch and release trout fishing. It's yeah. Now all the or way catch and keep. Go to yeah. a Fins Lake. It's yeah. catch and keep season in the Fins Lakes, mm -hmm. but in the creeks where they're stocked, it's catch and release only. Yeah. And there's 15 catch and release uh, uh, trout streams that are, and probably arguably the best is Rock Creek and McCreary County. That's like a, a really mountain. Yeah. Uh, trout experience, uh, East Fork of Indian Creek in the gorge is beautiful. It gets pounded during the summer, but during the winter, you'll have it to yourself. Chris and I actually went on a little fishing trip by herself the other day uh, uh, down to Bark Camp Creek. Mm -hmm. And that she she tore them up. She caught like 10 or 12 trout out of there. Yeah, Pretty Bark, good size ones, Bark too. Camp is an, that's an excellent one. Do and you have to hike in a little bit? Uh, yeah, I mean, the creek is right there next to the road. You can start fishing within 100 yards, mm -hmm. but... I mean, it's probably a three-mile hike down to the Cumberland River where the creek flows in. But uh, we went last year and fished there and caught a couple. But I think that she hit it right after stocking or something yeah. because she, I mean, she probably caught 10 or 12. Otter Creek in Mee County, fantastic. Floyd's Fork is another one. Yeah. Right there, close to Louisville. Mm -hmm. um, I've had some, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, some of my best uh, trout fishing days ever on Floyd's Fork. Mm -hmm. You just got, I mean, you find the right. I caught one in July. More guys with caught one in July with rainbow. You find the right little <laughs> seam of water, the right little chute, you know, like a flowing water going down into a deep pocket. And I mean, they're they're going to be there. Mm -hmm. And um, the Finns Lakes at Floyd's Fork, Fisherman's Lake, I believe is what it's called. Mm -hmm. um, I know a guy who went there two weeks ago or so. It was that first cold spell we got. And he left with an easy, quick limit. And it really, he, he said, because I asked him how he found them. And he said, man, when it first starts getting cold, those trout will pile up in the shallow water. He said back in the very back of the ponds. Mm -hmm. So just get up there in the shallower areas that cool down quicker, and that's where they're going to be. Yeah. So I guess if you're fishing a pond, maybe think about preferred water temperature. If it's been real hot out lately, like it kind of was last week, you might be looking deep. And if it, you know you got these cool mornings and frost on your car when you're going outside, you might want to look shallow. Mm -hmm. But the, I actually just watched a video not an hour ago. It was a uh, catch, uh, clean, and cook of those stalker trout. And it kind of got me itching to go give that. I love eating trout, man. Mm -hmm. I do too. He, uh, the guy that I watched the video is that Aaron Weave guy with Uncut Angling. And he kind of bashed the method that I'd always done, which is where I keep the the fish hole, just cut the head off and, and clean them and then stuff the insides with uh, different things. And he, he said that was just people being fancy, that none of that flavor really got through the rib cage into the meat. And he was kind of saying, you got to fillet them out if you really want to be able to season them and add flavor. So I think I'll probably do that next time. I've just got them, taken the head off, rubbed them with butter, and yeah. then put adobo seasoning or lemon pepper, depending on the mood, and you bake know, them. See, it still does have to get through the skin. It either has to get through the skin or the rib cage, unless you fillet them out. So I think it makes sense to actually flam. I've I've just been lazy in the past. It's so easy Mine to clean. Mine tastes good. I'm, oh, I've always been happy with them too. But getting those bones out would be nice because they are a little bit bony. Trammel Fork in Allen County is a good chance for a holdover trout there as well. It's spring-fed, 
Uh, there's public access there. Uh, what do you know about, so say I wanted to go catch, just have a great fishing trip right now. Um, you know, the stream smallmouth have kind of turned off for yeah, me. Yeah, they're, they're done. But say, I, could I go to Green and catch a muskie, you think? Um, I don't know. I don't Green. know what they do when they get See, slated. I don't either. I need to ask somebody about that. Well, Mike Harden would know, but I, I think the muskie window is kind of closing. But I remember Sarah Terry, though, caught it about this time of year. She caught the state record, so. Yeah. I might look into that. Or what about Cumberland Tellwaters? Are they any good right now? Um, well, they've been... Uh, the generation schedule hasn't been that kind. A lot of people have been complaining. Okay. I haven't looked in a couple of weeks. But well, no use complaining. complaining to us. We don't control that. Yeah, no. Yeah. But I mean, just like, you know, it's the, the course thing. Yeah. But also, Hatchery Creek is right there. Yeah. And winter is probably best time to fish it because a lot of that aquatic vegetation will kind of die back a little bit yeah. and there's not nearly as many people. Yeah, I could, I'd like to, but then again, that is a catch and release stream only. Part of it. The, oh, upper, yeah. the upper little bit you can keep. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about going to get some food here, Lee, so. Yeah. And upper bit, you can fish with a uh, spinning tackle, too. Mm -hmm. The lower part's fly fish only, but. Well, you can, as long as you use a, you can use inline spinners and stuff in the lower part. You just have to release everything you catch. And really? You can't, you can't use paste. Okay. Okay. You can't use, like, power bait or anything like that. Because in Hatchery Creek, there's kind of like a, uh, what is, what is it? It's like a. Zach um, Campbell caught a bunch of big ones. On it's like a barrier in, mm -hmm. in the creek. It's a waterfall. So there's a waterfall and. Anything above that waterfall, you to the hatchery, you can keep. Yeah, and anything below, it's catch and release only. Yeah, and there are some monster trout in that creek. Too. I know, and you can see them, and they laugh at you like, "I'm not biting your fly." I see you. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I feel like trout are a fish that a lot of people, you know, like they're probably one of the most underutilized fish in the state. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, most of your people, ninety percent of people out there who fish have fished for catfish and bluegill and bass mm -hmm. and things like that, and then. Uh, Sauger, but trout seem to be the one that a lot of people don't do as much of, unless you're a trout person, and that's mm -hmm. all you do. Yeah, I feel like trout have like a misconception that they're kind of a puny fish. Mm -hmm. Those things are so strong. I know. Now you look especially at the, in the Cumberland tailwater. God, that's that's as good as anywhere. If you fillet one, I mean, they probably got more muscle to mass ratio. Like, there's no wasted space on trout. They're basically just big muscles. Have you ever eaten the fin? Uh-uh. But yeah. I hear like potato chips? Yeah, it's like a burnt potato chip. If you fry I lost like um, a 12-pack of, uh, of of beverages on a bet. Coke? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, uh, Coke Zero. <laughs> on a bet with a friend because he said, I'll bet you that uh, that I can eat that uh, tail. I was like, you know, eat a trout tail. That's gross. Crunch, 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 crunch. And he said, go ahead and eat it. It's not that bad. He ended up, we ended up just saying, okay. Pushing. <laughs> I didn't have to give him 12, but I gave him several. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you do on fishing trips anyway. <laughs> no doubt. So it's got all collective anyway, but uh, they're not, the, it was a trip. They were a burnt potato chip. So to recap what we've talked about, mm -hmm. opening weekend was a good Saturday, not as good Sunday. High winds had something to do with it. People who went still killed deer. A lot of people just didn't go. Mm -hmm. um, I can't decide pistol hunting, rabbit hunting. What am I going to do today? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, Lee, for me, I just enjoy being out there and going hunting, you know? Like, I want to go hunting today, but I don't know if I have the freezer space right at this moment to take another doe. But I don't want to just go watching the deer without you've, having... You've taken your buck. I've taken a buck and a doe so far. Um, so I'm kind of like torn in between. I really want to go deer hunting, but I don't know what I'm going to do if I have success. But if I'm going to go out in the woods, I want to have a purpose, you know? I want I want to be hunting. So if I take a pistol hunting, that kind of evens the playing field where I probably won't have to worry about having something to clean, but I still have a purpose and a reason to be out there. Yeah. Does that make sense at all? Yes. And then if I do get one, I'll 
throw a bunch of meat in the freezer into the refrigerator and start throwing it out and pack the freezer the rest of the way full. So I kind of got a game plan. I'll probably do that. Probably go pistol hunting this afternoon. Um, read the press release on the mm-hmm. uh, poaching case of the Fort Mitchell deer. I'd say that's probably circulating a couple different news outlets right now. But if you listen mm-hmm. to the podcast and you don't really follow all that news, now you know about it too. A deer we talked about on the podcast last year, mm-hmm. kind of a famous deer. Um, and then as far as fishing goes, we went over how to get the water info for McAlpin, kind of gave a sample of what that call sounds like and how to break it down. Um, gives you the elevation of the pools and feet. Um, you really have to know what they're looking for, like what the standard pool is to be able to read into that at all. Mm-hmm. But then it tells you um, how much dam they're running, top and bottom. So, and that, so when it says 25 feet of dam, that means that all the gates combined are open 25 feet. So, it, you know, if they said six feet of dam, each gate would be open one foot because yeah. there's six gates up there. Okay. If they said 12 feet, it would be, you know, two feet on each on each gate. And at 25 feet, you know, that's an odd number. So they got one of them open uh, five feet and the rest, or one of them open six feet and the rest of them are open five feet, whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? But um, then we talked about a little bit of uh, other fishing. So we had four feet on ours. It's basically one foot was coming out. And yeah. then they kicked it up to basically two feet for each particular gate. Well, so ours, when we started fishing, it was four feet. The lower dam has four gates. Mm-hmm. So four feet was one foot open on each, each one. Gate. And then when they went to five feet, they just opened one of them up in an additional foot. Okay. So the, the other three stayed at one foot and one of them went to two. And it's kind of sporadic which one they open. Um, What's the upper limit of fishability there? Uh, on the lower? Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy went this year, fished... Uh, out of a boat right nose up to it just like we did when those last couple fish we caught was 17 feet well that's about insane yeah you know four and five feet it was bucking me all over the place oh, i had yeah, to put my feet up under thinking god if i go over here this isn't gonna be good no it's it's a it's a ride at any level but it's i 17. told that story chase caught like you catch three on four casts or something <laughs> like cast and cast and cast i couldn't get by he's like chase wasn't a World, did you do that I didn't do? <laughs> Wham! Ever since I came out of my mouth, that one hit, I caught yeah. that nice one. Yeah, no, yeah that's, I, I was saying, <laughs> that's when you know the fishing's good, because you had taken like five or six casts and hadn't caught one yet, and you were getting frustrated. I was like, well, that's when you know the fishing's good. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Five casts in. Five casts, that's the way it was all day. If you went these, five casts without getting a pack, you were yeah, kind of Where'd these dang out. fish go? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's when you know it's good. But yeah, it's it's fun up there, man. And 17, 17 feet. 17 feet, I wouldn't do that. All the king's money, all king's money. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I I've been up there. I mean, I you got if you're with somebody who's really experienced, like uh, those guys are, that I was fishing with over the summer. I mean, they've been doing it for you know a couple decades, and so I just you know my first trip out there with them, I just kind of put my trust in them. Figured he probably didn't want to lose his brand new boat, so I was just gonna gonna roll with mm-hmm. it. And, you know, you get up there in some spots, and those guys who know the water, they can you know put the boat in the exact right spot and hold it in the right position and. 10 feet this way or 10 feet that way might be bad news, but mm-hmm. you get yourself up there in that moving water, you need to know what you're doing. Yeah. But he, I mean, so the guy who told me that he fished it at 17 feet not long ago has also fished it in the summer at such a low level that he said he actually walked all the way across. Wow. Yeah. So you're fishing it from one, and he said, you know, just a little trickle of water coming over the pad. Just can you imagine walking that thing? I'd, I'd be scared. Yeah, me too. But, um, so one extreme to the other. Seventeen feet on the lowers, that's a lot of water. Yeah, that is that's a beast of a dam. Did he catch fish at seventeen feet? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, they tore them up. <laughs> they tore them up. Those fish, man, it's amazing how strong they are. Those hybrids, they they can get into I don't think there's a current too strong in the state for them. Mm-hmm. And 
they they don't care that fast moving water that's heaven for them because that's just tearing up all the other fish that aren't strong enough yeah and they can just sit in there and just yeah gorge gorge Oh, well, Lee, I got nothing else. You? I'm, I'm good. I'm ready to eat lunch. What let's, do you think? Let's call it. You eat lunch. I'm going to turn this around, get it out there, and by the time this goes online, I'll probably be... Uh, Sitting with your 454 casule and... Yeah, back against the tree. Sitting against the tree, yeah. Yeah, wish me luck. How, how do you deal with the recoil on it? <clears throat> you just don't. You just, just don't. Except, except <laughs> that you're going to be in pain. I, I've learned that if you want to be a good shot, you can't even think about it. Yeah. You know, and that goes with all... Well, with shotguns, I don't know, because, you know, that's mostly shooting on the move. With a rifle, you know, when I squeeze mm -hmm. off a shot on my rifle, I don't want to know what's coming. I just want the gun to go off on its own almost. Yeah, that's, and that's best. When the gun goes off on its own, that's that's pretty much 90% of the time going to be a really good shot. I doubt you'd want to take that to your conceal and carry class. In the 454? <laughs> There's some guys, that always a, they bring their 44 mags and they get yeah. like halfway through and they're shaking their wrist yeah. and they're dying. So With that uh, 454, you just want to, you want to have good sight alignment you want your sights lined up good you want good sight picture if as long as you can see that the uh the sights are lined up good and they're on the kill zone just squeeze that trigger and eventually it'll go off and mm -hmm. when it goes off and you don't just yank it mm -hmm. it's going to be right where you want it yeah so that's kind of my uh, don't worry about the recoil i never have felt the recoil when i'm shooting yeah, you don't. Shooting game. I mean, you feel it the next day sometimes but you, you never feel it really. you go to the range and you're shooting targets you'll feel the recoil mm -hmm. but when you've got something in your sights you know don't even think about it my brother he, has one of those 4570 single-shot buffalo guns. Oh, yeah. It's a ball to shoot, but now that thing's like getting kicked in by a mule. I know a guy who's been deer hunting with a 50 BMG this year. <laughs> he, he bought one over the summer, kind of like as a toy. And he, was, he, he said, oh, if I got it, I'm going to use it. So he's been, he shot a doe with it um, opening day, and there was a video of it. It was a very clean kill. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Very clean, ethical <laughs> kill. No doubt. And then he took a buck with it uh, yesterday, I want to say. Pretty good buck, too, went 153. But, yeah, that's a, a bear. I think I shoot deer with 22250. Mm -hmm. so, and that last doe I shot with 22250. That was Farmer's favorite, Lovis. Uh, he likes 25-06. Oh, that's, that's what, what we were saying yesterday. We thought it was 22250. Uh, he, he shoots 25-06. Um, which is? Which is? Explain what? So a 25 odd six. So you basically got a family of cartridges that are built off of the 30 odd six. Six, yeah. 30 odd six, the 270, the 25 odd six, and I'm wanting to say the 264 Remington are all the exact same cartridge, just neck to fit a different size bullet. Yeah. So it's literally the shape of the cartridge itself, the amount of powder, everything is identical, um, except for the size bullet that actually goes in the end. So you're working up from 25 odd six to 264 to 270 to 30 odd six, just getting a bigger, heavier bullet each, yeah. each time. And uh, 25 odd six out of all of those is probably the best for deer. 30 odd six is probably the best all around cartridge for North America. Yeah. You can hunt everything from black bear and whitetail to antelope, elk and moose and grizzly. So 22 250 is the same concept. Correct. Well, it's I mean it's, it's some a, people get confused about this. 22 250 is just its own cartridge. I mean it's it's much shorter. It's a short action cartridge. Um, it's a really hot load. So mine are shooting. Around 4,100 feet a second. Yeah, that's fine. Where he's, so the 270, you're shooting about 3,000. 30 odd six, you're shooting 2,800. 308, it's about 2,800 feet a second. So compared to those, it's a screaming cartridge. Mm -hmm. But I'm only shooting a 55 grain bullet, where those are shooting 130 to 180 yeah. grain bullets. So that one ideally has more knockdown. Do you call any hunt with that too? Oh yeah, it's my it's my all around go to. Yeah. I love that rifle. Well, we were talking about it on a walk yesterday. You put the bullet in the right spot, it's going to do its job. My brother Coyote hunts with a seventeen. Uh, 
disappointed. You can you can kind of, I mean so that many that thing screams for what it is. That's a screaming little bullet. I'm saying people get so caught up in well you got to have a 270, not a 308 because the 270. No, you've put the bullet where it needs to go, and you're okay. That's all that really matters. You just look at the legality of it. You know, use uh, don't use a rim fire for deer. You got to use center fire. Now, if you're bear hunting or elk hunting, you got to use something over 270. Mm-hmm. You know, I recommend as big as you can handle for elk, based on my oh, experience. Oh yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but um, as far as something like a deer, you know, a center fire cartridge, any of them, any of them are legal. And if you put the bullet where it needs to go with 22250 or 223 or any of those, that deer's going to go down real mm-hmm. quick. That one I shot the other day, I told you, I mean, it was dead before it hit the dirt. Yeah. It was a neck shot. So, I mean, that makes sense. And that was actually the first neck shot I've taken on a deer, period, ever. I've always heard how lethal and how clean it is. And um, this doe, I mean, she came out of the woods and she saw me and she just started doing that thing where they stomp and just walk straight towards you mm-hmm. and she was facing dead on straight towards me and uh, no wind that morning so I just lined it up I was shooting off a bipod really steady you know perfect sight alignment sight picture just slowly squeeze the trigger and when she's looking at me <coughs> center of the neck's where to go mm-hmm. if it was a shot from the side where I had a lot more meat to work with I probably wouldn't have felt comfortable taking it but a dead-on, straight-on neck shot, I felt pretty good about that. And, uh, I mean, that bullet got everything you could possibly get in there. And no exit hole. And uh, <clears throat> no exit hole tells me that 100% of that energy from that round went to that deer. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you get an exit hole, say you're shooting a 270, um, then you get an exit hole, whatever that bullet leaves that, that animal with, it didn't transfer to the deer. So you might get a lot more energy out of a 270 round. You look at the box, it's going to tell you the kinetic energy of the round. Like It might have a lot more than 2250, but you got to subtract whatever that bullet leaves with. you know. And that's what you actually put into the animal. So if you're getting exit holes, you get a better blood trail, and it works out good for things like that, but you're really not getting any more lethality over, out of it. Does that make sense at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there there is some some theory and some truth to, you know. Well, energy is mass times velocity squared. Yeah, yeah, and then you gotta take what it has left leaving, subtract that out from the total. And I don't know how you would ever do that. But I do think there is something to uh, like a terminal shock value. So if you hit something with enough energy, then that's that's all it takes, well, you know what I mean? Like some of those deer, you, you see them get shot right in the kill zone, right in the body, and they just drop to the ground. That's, a, that's kind of a terminal shock. And that'll that'll do it too, and uh, that's what that kind of like the 50 BMG. I mean, I don't think a deer's ever going to move an inch. Yeah. Even if you get an exit hole and you only put so so much energy into the animal because that terminal shock value of that round is just ridiculous. But point being that uh, make good shots, and it really doesn't matter what you're using. No doubt. Just make sure you're staying legal. Yeah. And uh, anyway, Lee. Good little tangent there on ballistics at the end. No, no, that's good. Let me caught up. It's funny we were talking about that. Oh, yeah? But I think Rick said Farmer had that around. He had 25 bucks. I've got one of his. He gave me a bullet one time, casing I've got on my desk. We went fishing with a farmer a few weeks ago for the show. That segment actually airs on this week's show. Okay. Um, he was talking about how he had his 25 out 6. Cumberland, Stripers, Assassin. Um, he was talking about his 25 out 6 and how some guy had called him and tried to buy it from him. I guess this guy had somehow... It was it, the guy originally owned the gun, and then I guess sold it to a pawn shop or something. And farmer had bought it from the pawn shop or something like that. And now, twelve years later, this guy decides he wants his rifle back from when he was a kid. Well, 
And far, uh, I mean, his farmer's gun for the past 12 years. He's deer hunting on the show with it. I'm sure he probably wants it too. Yeah. And he bought it fair and square, but the guy, I guess, was trying to to get it back from farmer, and farmer gave him a price. And the guy said, well, okay, I'll get back to you. And they never called him again. <laughs> I think the guy wanted a deal on yeah. it being his old gun. But. Well, I mean, you know, once you sell something, it's no longer in your possession. Man, uh, you get kind of sentimental with stuff like that, too. Yeah. Like, uh, Well, a lot of people do that, and then they're like, why in the world did I do that? Man, my first rifle I ever bought, I wish, wish I never, uh, my buddy still has it. It's one of those deals where my first deer rifle I ever bought was a, a Savage Model 110 and 270 is one of those cheap ones with the wooden stock, just the bare mm -hmm. bones. Oh, yeah. um, and I guess, you know, at some point late in high school, I got hard up for money and I sold it to my uncle, right? And uh, he was like, well, you're going to want this back one day. And when you do, I'll sell it back to you. And then uh, I guess five years went by and my uncle sold it to my buddy, Bobby. The same principle. <laughs> Bobby's like, well, someday if you ever want it back. <laughs> so one of these days I'll have to hit up Bobby and buy my but. I mean, I kind of feel bad. I only took I took my first buck with that rifle um, when I was probably 12 or 13 or something like that, hunting with my grandpa. Kind of a, you know, I enjoyed it. I'd like to have that gun back, but at the same time, Bobby's been out there deer hunting with it and making memories of his own for the past five years. So mm -hmm. I don't know. As long as somebody I know has it, yeah, that's better than it going to a stranger. Hopefully, those guys wouldn't just sell it to some random person without hitting. I've me got up a first. Model 68 Winchester 22 that belonged to my grandfather. Yeah. But. I've had forever, but I haven't shot it in years. I'm contemplating giving that back to my brother and say, just restore this and give it to your yeah. one of your sons. You got to keep them pass them pass stuff down yeah, like that. It's, it's, but I mean, it's got the old winded sight and it's got the targets. That thing is accurate. God, it's a ball to shoot. Yeah, I have a it's a bolt action with a spring cock. I have a side by side from my great grandpa. It's kind of been handed down. It just sits on the gun safe. Yeah. I don't think it would shoot modern loads. I mean, it's it's old. Yeah. Thin walled, double barrel, the old style hammers, you know, individual hammers. Rick's got an old uh, um, oh, Sweet 16 oh, Fox. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Yeah, there, there were really, there were Stevens and Fox. He's got a Stevens too, I think. But yeah. It's an old Fox. I've shot it. God, it was accurate. Side by side. This one I have is either a New England arm. Swung itself. Or... It's that side by side barrel back in the day. It swings itself. Really? Yeah. That's, just, I, that's what I need. Once you get it going, it's. You know, it just goes. Yeah. Well, Lee, let's cut it off. We, we actually, 20 minutes ago, talked about ending the podcast. We just kept going. <laughs> oh, yep. Yeah. Lunchtime. Time for lunch. <laughs> All right, Lee. Well, I appreciate it. No problem.